So it was described by some last night as the victory of the year so far. Blue Jays in 10 innings, 3-0 over the New York Yankees on the walk-off home run from Danny Jansen. I mean, I feel like it's just as important tonight. Jose Barrios on the mound versus Nestor Cortez. You get a split after falling behind 0-2 to this Yankees team. Having the AL East record, you have the infight, not infighting, the squabbles here between the Yankees Mm -hmm. and Blue Jays. It would be real nice to get a split after everything we've seen. You'd love it, especially since you're not going to see these guys for a really long time. So if you don't get the split, you got to sit on that for a long, long time. And I guess the other question that needs to be asked here, will there be any uh, recourse taken against Aaron Judge, who's been able to take at bats when they haven't been intentionally walking him, which again, if I could change anything about baseball, Mm. No more intentional walks. Oh, okay. I hate them. Hmm. Like, we're, we're waiting for a big moment. I, like, I understand it from the Blue Jays' angle. You don't want Aaron Judge to have the bat on his shoulder. But I kind of like to see, like, a guy who's everybody there to watch, not just trot to first base without having to see a pitch. A- again, like, I understand you can get around it without actually doing it, and you're trying to save time here. But at least it opens up the possibility for a mistake, and a guy like Aaron Judge actually gets a chance to hit. Again, I digress. I got to be honest. It's just something I've never really thought about. Like, I don't know if you want to have that conversation or not, but like, I've never really thought about it. It'd be wild. And again, to bring it back to a hockey lens, which I do with everything is Mm -hmm. imagine, imagine Sheldon Keefe could just blow a whistle when Connor McDavid was on the ice and it's uh, okay. He, uh, you, you have to pull him off or you got to do something like it is. We think about it because it's just part of the game and you're allowed Mm -hmm. to do it. And Barry Bonds, it was a big part of his mystique and everything. Honestly, never occurred to me. Like, they changed all the rules because you want balls in play. You want things to happen. I think it's probably a bridge too far, but I'm not completely shutting down the idea. Yeah, they've made it easier on on superstars. Like, they've made that, 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 they've made it easier on superstars, excuse me. They've made that decision easier since right. by just being like, oh, put up the four sign yeah. and, and he's at first base. Like, I just, I don't know. I don't love it. But... I don't know if I Hmm. would really have a reaction whether they do or don't, but today would be the day if you're going to go after Aaron Judge, would it not be? Yeah, I mean, it would. uh, To be perfectly honest, I, and again, like we talked to Caleb Joseph about this yesterday, it is the ultimate unsaid thing in baseball, unwritten rule, all of that stuff, but I don't know. Like, it just seems incredibly thin-skinned to me to hit a guy because you weren't being protective enough of your signs. Per- personally, for me, it just seems very thin-skinned. Now, look, if you just say... Uh, the counter you, to now, that... If, I'll, I'll give my own counter. Is okay. that they're the Yankees and you hate them and screw Aaron Judge to just ding them because your your fans want a pound of, of red meat. And if you're going to put them on first base anyways, you might as well make mm, somebody happy. Go. Like, I'm not completely blind to that part of it. But just from a... From a look, like, if you're going to look at, do you want to be the Yankees' kid brother or not? If you're the kid brother, go beat him and say, oh, it's not fair. You were mean to me. You're See, mean. I don't think that's, that's I don't how think, I, look I, at I think kid brother is not doing anything because kid brother is, the Yankees have come into Rogers Center and done whatever they well, wanted actually, to do. the kid do. brother would complain to mom, and they kind of did that, didn't they? They were like, it's not fair. Look at what well, they're they, doing. They have done that, but also, okay, so d- then stop being the kid brother because they the Yankees have come into Rogers Center and decided, hey, we're going to 
pick up on your signs. We're going to relay them to the best hitter in baseball, and he's going to crank home runs out of the park, and you're not going to do anything about mm-hmm. it. And then the next day, we're going to bring one of our starters onto the mound with sticky stuff on his hand, and he's going to go through your order once clean and absolutely dominate. Maybe he gets caught. Maybe he doesn't, but it doesn't matter because we won the ball game in those three innings you're never, ever seeing yep. again. So this Yankees team has come in with, hey, we're the Yankees. We do what we want. Mm-hmm. The Blue Jays have tried to pitch uh, to push back on that. They're calling people fat from across the dugout out and it's like all right like what what are, what are we actually doing are we talking or are we doing something about it I, I would like to see again in the right situation if it comes and again you're waiting till september mm-hmm. to have this opportunity again so it's not a bad time to do it but if there's a nothing inning late if there's a nothing at bat late for aaron judge i would actually expect john schneider to be putting down something other than the four sign that's uh i i honestly hadn't thought about it and if you're looking at it as aaron judge can pay for the sins of uh domingo herman and then I then I honestly hadn't really included well, that part of it, and that's if, fair. If you want it to matter, if it's no, if that, you want no, Domingo Herman, totally. like not that it's gonna it's gonna dissuade anyone. That, that Anthony Volpe is young and trying to get comfortable in the big leagues. If you really want to get people upset, uh, maybe you go there. I'm I, sure I, John Morosi is cringing hearing this conversation. Uh, he, he may be. I'm just not throwing at someone less than Aaron Judge after what we've seen. Uh, let's get to Morosi because he's got way better takes uh, than we do, and we've reached the quarter mark, Morosi, on him. this Blue Jays season. Okay, we'll start with that. Should the Blue Jays throw at Aaron Judge today? Yeah, there you go. No, no, thank you. I, I don't believe. I don't believe that would solve anything, uh, accomplish anything, or or serve to to have any sort of positive outcome in in my estimation. So I would say a resounding no. You're a peacekeeper. I, I understand that, that. Right. Well, there are some there are some uh, traditions within the game. That that whether you want to call it the, the code that has existed for a while that might compel the Jays to consider such a thing, I I would not. I would I'll just say I would counsel against that. Uh, I, I'm just I'm I'm not sure that that would really serve any any greater purpose at the moment. Um, I, I think Domingo Herman that situation to me I, in looking at the the big picture here, um, I. I, I am way more bothered, if that's the right word, by by the Herman situation from the standpoint of what he what his actions did to the Yankees, uh, and, and they had to rush Ian Hamilton into the game. He's been one of their best relievers this season. He strains his groin, and he's out for a while. That that to me was was in many ways the punishment of what the Yankees have to deal with. For, for what was, in my judgment, a, a fairly selfish decision by Herman to go out there in a way that, that was clearly um, clearly outside of the, the normal realm of, of what pitchers may still uh, use to this day in terms of rosin. So that, that to me, was, uh, was offensive to the game, if you want to call it that. I think with, with Judge, the, the, the Jays, to me, uh, they left themselves vulnerable based on whatever they were doing and, and making it too easy for them uh, to be victimized by, by signs being relayed, whatever it might have been. And, and John Schneider himself said, we've got to tighten it up. So if, if the Jays say and acknowledge on their own right, we've got to be better, I'm not so sure, or, or really I am, uh, I'll, I'll say very clearly, it just it doesn't make sense to me that you would hit uh, the best, the best hitter in the in the sport, because you yourself 
were were insufficient in in your ability to to cloak your own signs. Uh, that is definitely true. The the Blue Jays, if we've learned anything this series, definitely have to clean up uh, their end of things because whether it was uh, the catcher, whether it was the pitchers on the mound, uh, they were definitely providing intel to the Yankees. And I want to get to that intel. Uh, in just a second here. But the Domingo Herman thing is interesting because, hey, maybe there were some karmic forces at play here. Maybe Ian Hamilton is injured because of what Domingo Herman put on his hands. But the reality is the Blue Jays lost those three innings forever. The Blue Jays lost that game forever in the important ALE showdown. And now they have to win today to split with the Yankees and try to improve what is a pretty woeful American League East record. Like, that's the thing that bothers me about anything. And again, a the seams put into the backside of Aaron Judge accomplished nothing. But, like, will Major League Baseball ever do anything about, you know, three innings that Herman was able to cheat with actually having, you know, like, you can't do anything about it. Like, you are stuck with Herman getting away with three innings and shutting down your lineup and ultimately a loss in the column. Well, it's a fair question. Here is what I would say. First of all, he was checked once already in the game. So there was at least one inning. I believe he was checked after the first. There was at least one inning in which he was compliant. I'm not sure about second and third. Obviously, he, he was checked coming out for the fourth. So at least one-third of, one of the time, I'm not sure. I can't speak to the other two. Um, he was He was within... He was within the legal limits of whatever he had on his hand for at least one of the three innings because he was checked and passed the test. So you're right that that there was a, a situation there where where by the end of the release by the fourth inning he was he was out of bounds. We're not entirely sure when he applied exactly the the, the excessive amounts of the substance that that triggered the the ejection. I, I think in general. This affirms the success of MLB's current substance checking program. Uh, obviously, Max Scherzer has also been um, been caught by the same the same method earlier on in the season, and I'm sure the Dodgers had a, had a legitimate complaint about facing Max on a day where he was ejected and eventually suspended. And uh, this is, to me, evidence that that the system is working and I realize it's unfortunate for the Jays that, that they faced someone that was cheating. But uh, at the end of the day, he, he was caught after three innings that put their bullpen in a horrible spot and the Jays still ended up losing the game. So it, it, it was, is it fair to Toronto? No, it's not. But, but this is the way that, that at least, at least he was caught after the third and not, let's say, Never after or after the seventh when when it was when, when the full game was done or when his full outing was done. I think that that to me is is the way that the current situation is working and and I wish I wish there was a, a better form of justice that I could convey to, to Jays fans who are upset understandably. But but that is there's no additional recourse beyond the fact that he was ejected and uh, and suspended for ten games and and that's a divisional opponent who will be made weaker by not having one of their starters for a period of 10 games. So it, at some point in time, uh, it's already catching up to the Yankees in their overall pitching plan. 
Fan Morning Show, Brent Gunning, Justin Cuthbert here talking to John Morosi. Is is two starts enough of a punishment? You know, this is obviously, I think I think the, the uncomfortable part of all this is that it is a very much gray area. Obviously, there are substances that can't be used, but in terms of the policing it, an umpire, you know, he doesn't have a stick meter that he applies to the arm. He feels the hand. He feels what you've got. It is very much uh, a judgment call. Now, we know Herman had already been talked to once this year was told to wash his hands. Uh, you know, I know this isn't a repeat offender situation because he wasn't penalized the first time but if I look at that if I'm Max Scherzer and correct it's entirely possible I missed this if it happened with him you're saying hold on I was ding the first time this happened to me this other guy got a warning and we get the exact same suspension like could you have been talked into an accelerator for that or even just the league being harsher on it I'm not sure if this is something that goes into the CBA and all of that as well but to me honestly if you can play fast and loose and try to ride the line if it's a big start why wouldn't you risk the two games especially if it's a do or die moment at the end of the season or something like that I I guess the real simple way to boil down the question is is a two-game suspension enough for loading up and I know it's 10 but two starts you know what I mean right right it's a very fair question Brett And, and I do think in this instance and in what you're referring to of course is the April 15th game against the twins in which he was warned uh, was not ejected. He was warned and said, you've got to wash your hand. He was allowed to remain in the game. And Rocco Baldelli at that point, uh, the, the Twins manager, understandably, great. Uh, raised a significant objection, uh, objection because because they were, they were allowing her mom to stay in the game. They said, hey, instead of ejecting you, I'm going to advise you to wash your hands. Um, and so that that did not sit well with Rocco. Understandably, he was ejected, and and her mom was allowed to remain in the game. Was not disciplined for it. So along those lines, he is a repeat offender, or at least he has raised an alarm twice in the span of a month and two days, or a month and a day. So uh, it's an excellent point that you make, Brent. Uh, I, I do think in this instance that he probably should have been suspended for longer because he had. Uh, it was he was barely able to skate the previous time, and he was able to get by with that. And and you're right, he was by that by that reckoning a, a repeat offender. So you make an excellent point that he should have gotten more than than the two starts this time around. And I'd be curious to see if potentially the league adjusts the scale going forward. But I I thought it was it was rather interesting that that John Schneider knew the exact. In his post-game comments on Tuesday, he knew the exact length of what the suspension was coming, and he he said eh, ten games, mm. uh, and and so he knew he knew what was coming, and that that does seem to be for better or worse the industry standard to where if you've got a substance on your hand, you get ten games. Uh, two pitching topics we got to broach with you, Morosi. I'm going to start with the positive one on the pantheon of great acquisitions uh, in free agency. Where does Chris Bassett land league-wide? One of the best signings uh, by anyone, and, and, and let's let's take a moment. Uh, the, if, if there may be a Mets fan that's tuning in here today, uh, that that when you think about the Mets, they lose Bassett and and all the pitching they gained. Bassett's doing better than anybody they added, so they already had the guy they probably should have kept in retrospect. Um, Chris, to me, is first of all a pros pro, first class all the way in terms of his, what he means to the clubhouse. Great teammate. I remember just, I saw him a couple of weeks ago at Fenway 
and uh, talking about Manoa and, and his, his year and certainly talking about Chris's own year. But he's just a very thoughtful teammate who will offer thoughts and, and help to the people around him. He, he really is exactly what you're hoping to get out of a veteran, both on and off the mound. He makes pitches. And, and the movement on his stuff, if you go back, the, the play in last night's game where it was a broken bat, I think it was Trevino up, uh, the, the, the play where he very athletically Athlete. went over. Right, that was an incredible play. A, a great native of Northwest Ohio, by the way, Chris Bassett. <laughs> so, so Chris, so Chris jumps off the mound, is able to help Brandon Belt field that ball and, and make the tag at first base. When you go back and watch that replay, do you see how much horizontal run there is on that sinker that he threw? It's almost like it darts up and in by about a foot. It was an incredible pitch. And I think it just shows shows you how right-handed batters, what an uncomfortable at-bat he is. He, he's a guy that has really good command, but but the, the amount of run that he gets on his two-seamer is makes it darn near impossible to square up. So um, he's, he's just, to me, I, I've watched him pitch before, going back to his Oakland days. Of course, he originally came up with the White Sox, uh, and then it, with the Mets last year, I watched him pitch a couple different times in person. This is the best I've seen him on a consistent basis, and uh, that really says a lot about someone when they step into this cauldron of the best division that I've probably ever seen covering the sport uh, mm-hmm. for 20 years. Uh, this good. That, that, that in this environment he is better than ever is really, I think, a great statement about his his ability as a pitcher, his stuff, the movement that he gets, and certainly his professionalism that he's come into a new team and delivered in this fashion. Do you think the pitch comm is especially beneficial to him? I do. I, I think he really does a good job of staying within rhythm with it. Um, and I think, too, that, that – the, the Jays catching it. I know certainly Kirk got some criticism this week because of the, the signs issue uh, with the Yankees. But I think in general, whether it's Jansen or Kirk, uh, the, the Jays have a very good catching, catching duo. And I think it really ends up working well for, for Bassett. The, the, the rhythm that the pitch com allows you to, to pitch with and tempo. He is someone that has always been, been good with tempo. Uh, and I think the pitch clock for him is, is an advantage, honestly. And, and that we actually had a conversation about that when I saw him at Fenway about um, how comfortable he was and how you're still seeing whether it's pitchers or hitters looking for different advantages, uh, but that in general, Chris feels very comfortable with it and certainly we're seeing the results. Yeah, you certainly are. Uh, that was the good. We got to do the bad as well, John. I'm sure you know the, where this is going. Uh, Alec Manoa, he has been one of the tentpole pieces for this franchise kind of since he came up. You know, when you're sitting there and envisioning the Blue Jays, a lot of people just start with him, Vlad, and Bo, and you could have three worst pieces to build around until this year. Now, I don't think anyone is writing off Alec Manoa saying he can't get it back on track or he can't refine his form, but the longer this goes on, the uh, the more that doubt starts to creep in if he can if he can bounce back. What have you seen from Manoa this year and just how much cause for concern is there? I, I think it's it's reasonable to be concerned. We're we're in a, the first quarter of the season and and the reality for me is the slider isn't there. And and when you look at Manoa and his his velocity his his forcing velocity is also down a little bit um, and he's not someone that has necessarily 
gotten hitters out with velocity alone in the past. He's not someone that is just simply overpowered with 99-mile-an-hour fastballs. That's never been his game. He has needed the slider to be really good. And in the past, it was. His Last year, he gave up a 190 batting average against the slider. And right now, it's 368. 190 to 368. There's your difference. And it's 368 with power. So he's, he's giving up damage on the slider. And, and so the, the point is his, his fastball is not, is not a 99-mile-an-hour, explosive, absolute dominant pitch. And so when you remove the formerly dominant slider and make it an okay slider, hitters no longer have to guard against that and be, and be really cautious and aware of the slider to where the fastball is also less effective because they, they have more time to adjust to it. And so that's, that's what I'm seeing. The origin of it is he, is he putting too much pressure on himself to be the ace? Is he showing some fatigue from all the innings he pitched in the past? Those, those questions, I think, to get at their, their true origin in the middle of a season could sometimes be challenging in terms of you know, Alec is obviously a, an A-level competitor who's not going to want to give anything away and is not going to want to make excuses. But the, the numbers are what they are. The slider has not been as good as it was. And, and that is something that's going to have to be addressed because this division, as we just talked about with Bassett, the division is so good. The hitters are so good. The, the, the scouting reports are so precise and so smart that if you are not able to rely on your best secondary pitch, you're going to get hit around. And that's exactly what's happening to Alec Manoa. To me, it's, it, is, it is certainly a, a complicated situation for the Jays to manage right now with a very simple reason. The slider isn't there, period. And when the slider's not there, there are a whole host of issues that come downstream from that. So what's the recourse, John? Like if this continues, it gets no, no, it just does not improve whatsoever. Do you keep running him out there every fifth day because he's your quote unquote ace? Uh, Is there any reason, uh, you know, does anything need to happen for him to be sent down? Do you send down guys anymore in major league baseball when they've reached a certain level like Alec Manoa has? Like how did the Jays manage the situation? No, it's a very fair question, and and they're not. I don't think they're there yet, because he's still he's still competitive. It's not to the point that he's that he's lost his ability to to compete in in major league games. He still throws, and we did one of his games at Fenway here recently. He still throws competitive pitches. He still he still he still belongs out there from what I can see. But the question that you raise is an important one. And it's also important to remember that some of the greatest pitchers of, of this era have been sent down to the minor leagues after establishing themselves in the big leagues. Roy, the late Roy holiday is one Max Scherzer is another. I was covering the tigers when Max got sent down. It was early, early days of 2010. He'd already been up in the big leagues for a couple of years. He was already a guy, but he needed to make an adjustment. And, and I, I think it's a fair point to make that, that Alec is so, so competitive and so tough and wants to be out there so much for his teammates that, that he might, it might be a challenge for him to work through something and, and to throw as much on the side and in between games that you need to do to get this worked out 
in the course of a major league season. And I, I do think it's, it's a reasonable question that you raised that I don't think they're there yet, but if this goes on for another month, maybe you have to think about it or maybe, or maybe there is at some point an, an underlying physical reason that explains it, that maybe is worth exploring his, his velocity is down. The slider isn't as sharp. If, if someone said there, there may be a, uh, an injury or a, or a physical ailment that explains this, it obviously would would make some sense, and maybe that's that's the reason to take to take a step away and, and get some time to adjust to it. But it, it really is it, it's a it's a quandary for this team. And I'll say this: I, we've talked about this before. There's no way there's no way this team gets to where they think they can go, which means the World mm-hmm. Series, without Manoa being Manoa. And and so, however you have to get there, whether it's whether it's uh, an optional assignment in the minor leagues, an injured list, or some really good bullpens in between, you, you've got to do that now. Because while it seems like this is a really important time, and it is, it's not as important as September and October. You need him there then. So if you've got to have him workshop things for a couple weeks, this is probably the best time to, to work on that because he does need to get back to being the guy that we expect him to be. Yep, they got to figure this out. And the saving grace, I guess, for Manoa, if he doesn't want the embarrassment, I guess, of being sent down, is there's nobody knocking on that door, it seems, uh, for the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, Morosi, this was fun this morning. We appreciate you coming on, and we will catch up with you again next week. Sounds great, guys. Uh, my apologies on, on not being correct in my prediction about the Leafs. I will, I will take the blame. It was all my fault. Oh, there's there's so many people to blame, John. You're people you're far, want a scalp. Far, far careful, careful, John. People want somebody to blame. So maybe keep your head low. Keep you your head blame, low. The you GTA. can blame blame me. Blame okay, me. There we go. That's John Morosi, MLB Network Insider. Uh, we've got to get a break because we've got Elliot Friedman on next. We'll do a mini wake and rake at the tail end, but it's Friedman after the break. Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Justin Cuthbert, and Brent Gunning this morning. Let's get right to our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. That insider is our insider here at Sportsnet, Elliot Friedman of Hockey Night in Canada and co-host of 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Good morning, Fridge. Good morning, guys. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're doing pretty good. I'm sure you're on high alert this morning because we are waiting and waiting and waiting for news. Should we expect something today from the Leafs, from Shanahan, from Dubas? What's the holdup? Uh, I can't tell you for sure that it will be something today. I do think it will be something by the end of the week, but I wouldn't want to say uh, put a percentage on it being today. Um, I think that uh, the holdup is, is Dubas. I think that he's got a decision to make or... Uh, we get to a point where the organization makes the decision. But I think for most of this week, they've tried to leave it in his hands. Do you do you think with the with the stumbling block is now, is it just simply Dubis waiting to make a decision? Or do you think, you know, obviously we knew, we saw the report that you had yesterday that these teams were talking before Tampa and during that series. Do you think it is just an issue of Dubis making a decision? Or we've heard this talk about, you know, power struggles, which is probably too strong of a term, or who decides the coach? Is it simply Dubis making up his mind? Or is there a little more still left to be decided there? I, I believe it's it's uh, Dubas making a decision. I think um, I had said initially that I thought 
the 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 serious talks began after the Tampa series. I no longer believe that's the case. I don't have an exact timeline, but I think those decisions, I think those conversations were happening before the playoffs. Um, hmm. I, I think I think that everybody uh, had uh, sort of put their cards on the table and walked things through. Um, I believe that the everyone thought there was going to be an extension done this week. Uh, until Dubas's press conference put uh, a halt on that, um, I don't think the power issue is was going to prevent this. Um, as a matter of fact, I had some people tell me that either that had been resolved or was not as a big problem as everyone had initially thought. But basically, you know, I heard the extension was close and was supposed to be done this week and. Uh, after Kyle spoke about needing a bit of a timeout to discuss it with his family, we've been on hold since then. And so there's kind of two um, there's there's two ways that this could go right now. Kyle makes a decision one way or the other, or the organization makes a decision one way or the other. So when weighing personal and professional considerations, uh, we should almost we should deduce at this point or work off the theory that it's pretty much the former, almost exclusively the former, tilting the scales that way. In terms of what, Justin, like, like personal and, and professional. So personal being, you know, uh, the the discussions he's having at home. Professional being like, hey, what can I get from L- MLSE with my next contract here? Yeah, no, I, I think a lot of that, I, I thought a lot of the professional had been taken care of. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> like, I don't believe this is a leverage play, but if it was, I don't think it would really do much. What do you think they're, the MLSE is operating with? Like, I don't know if they have a, a firm drop date in mind. It'd be great if they just came out and told us that. As you said, NDAs are great things for people in business. But when they break them, boy, do we do we love it, Frege. Uh But the, the idea of, you know, they can't, I don't think they need to make a decision by tomorrow who the general manager is. But I also don't think they can let this drag on another week. You know, the second a potential coaching candidate is off the board. That is a decision that you could have made that you could have missed out on if you don't have a GM. Do you think MLSE has kind of a firm drop dead date? Because it's not, I, I imagine they have plans B, C, and D looked at, but I don't think they would have spoken to anybody yet. Correct me if I'm wrong. Well, this Dubas thing is playing itself out. So how much longer can they kind of wait for, for Dubas to make his decision? Well, like I said, I, I like I said, Brett, I, I thought that, that this was going to be sorted out this week uh, initially with an extension. So Look, they have a lot of business to do. They have they, they have to make a decision on the coach. They have to make a decision on some of their roster. Um, you know, they have to decide what they have to see where to go where the conversations go with Matthews and Nylander heading into the last years of their contracts. Uh, I understand they told Shen they would like him back, but there's some other business that they have to take care of as well. Um, you know, there's a lot going on here, so. I don't think there's a lot of runway here. And uh, if we go into the end of the week and we still don't have an answer, um, you know, we're I, I, like, put it this way. I don't think they were looking at anybody else because I think they thought that Dubas was going to extend and they were going to extend with Dubas. But the longer it goes on, I think you eventually have to start looking at alternate plans. 
uh, our insider Elliot Friedman is on the line. Uh, do you get the sense or do you know of any names who may be waiting around with particular interest in Kyle Dubas's decision? Those names being like executives. Do we are there is there anyone with a clause that can jump out or any anyone connected to this role yet? Or is this exclusively balls in Kyle's court? We're waiting to see where he lobs it. Uh, I think it was, well, like I said, I think it was exclusively in Kyle's court. Uh, I think they thought they were going to have an extension done. So I I don't know that they'd really looked out there. But, I mean, it's not too hard to start figuring out. Look, if the the job of the Toronto Maple Leafs is open, there are going to be a lot of people who want it. Um, Like, you know, it's, it's a prime job. It's the rule, like... People say the risks are high, and you know you, you talk about what kind of Dubas is going through right now, the pressure of the job. That's true; it can take a lot out of you, but the rewards are high too. Yeah, um, if you're if you're successful here, you're a god forever, and you know you, you're going to be well paid, and you know you're going to have lots of resources to do things. So I think if the job was to be open, you're going to have no trouble finding candidates who want to do it. So looking at another job with the Toronto Maple Leafs that there is at least some uncertainty around the head coach of, of the hockey team. You know, Sheldon Keefe gave his availability. It seems like we are in a standstill here. You know, I know there's been some wondering about how if there is, you know, different factions, maybe people want Keefe back, maybe they don't. Where do you think the Leafs stand on on Sheldon Keefe? And then again, how directly is that tied to Kyle Dubas's decision? Well, this, this can't be easy. The uncertainty around Dubas can't be easy for a lot of people. Uh, some of them who work with them in the front office and, and, and undoubtedly Keith and the coaching staff too. Um, you know, Keith has a year left on his contract and the last time he was going into the final year of his contract, they extended him. So, uh, I, you know, and I think that coaching in a market like Toronto without an extension is not an easy thing. My opinion on the issue had been that they were going to think about it and also to see what else was out there. Like, I believe if they were going to change the coach, it was going to be after they said, okay, we believe this candidate who would be available to us would be better. That's the way I think the Maple Leafs were going to approach it. Now, I think everything is in timeout because of what's going on at the Dubas level position. But, and so I would assume that, uh, if he stays, then they make then they then they continue to look around and make that decision. If Dubas goes, then I think it's going to be at the discretion of whoever comes in. So do, we do believe that MLSC decided that the pros outweighed the cons when it came down to keeping or aiming to keep Kyle Dubas. But if there was yes. a major con. Uh, I think it would have been, hey, not that, you know, you could ever really nitpick signing or extending Austin Matthews, but he put him in a position where Austin Matthews has all the leverage in the world. He has power, and he can wield it if he so chooses. Uh, He didn't really indicate that at his year end. It was a little bit of a, uh, there was a little bit of towing the company line, or at least it seemed, or maybe he's preparing to do that. We still don't have an answer about what he's really going to do, but it doesn't seem like he wants to hold this organization over the barrel like maybe he could. So when you think about the power that Austin Matthews how and how he might wield it, like how do you think he might use it? Like, do you think he'll have say on you know roster matters? Will it just come down to getting what he wants and taking it from there? Or do you think you know if we're talking about core four change, will he be asked about what do you think might be the best move in terms of actually taking from the core and moving forward that way? Um, I'm sure he will be asked because I think you ask 
uh, a lot of your players about ideas. They may not tell him specifically what they're thinking, but I'm sure he will be asked for his opinion. Um, you know, I think the way he'll wield his power is, like, I mean, if, if you guys have listened to anything I've done, you've heard that uh, I believe that one of the things he's kind of he's kind of thought about or his, his, his representatives have kind of thought about or someone around him has kind of thought about is the idea of a non-max term contract. Now, I do believe this could go any direction, but I, I think that it's possible he signs for midterm and, and leaves him the opportunity to sign another deal when he's in his early 30s, 30 or 31. But I think the other thing that could happen is, um, you know, I think the Maple Leafs are going to want an indication that he's going to sign. And if we get to the draft and they don't have an indication that he's going to sign, uh, I'm really curious to see what, what could happen there. Um, but I, so I think that the, the, like, I'm not sure that Matthews is, is looking at it to wield his power or anything like that, but in shape of answering the question, I think that the, the biggest thing the Maple Leafs are going to want to know is, are we getting an extension done or are we going to have to go into next year without it? And I think that's a very big thing for them. Is it easy as a percentage point, as it was discussed before? Like, is it easy as like, this is what he's worth in terms of the percentage of the salary cap. And that's how much the dollar is. And we'll just, we'll move forward with that uh, on the four or five years or whatever the Matthews camp wants. Like, is it as simple as that? Like we've, we've been told before, or will there be more of a negotiation there? There's always a negotiation. Always. <laughs> uh, just just looking. Always, always, always. Yeah, just, just looking at Matthews there, you know, you mentioning the idea of it's entirely possible. Once again, he does not take max term. And as Justin mentioned, that's that was a criticism of Kyle Dubas the first go around. Do you think mm-hmm. that it's a fair criticism to levy at him or whoever it is who's signing this next extension? Because I have kind of operated now again, when you sign an extension, the first one that he did with all that time still left to operate, you could say, well, there could have been a negotiation. Like you said, there always is one. But I've kind of operated from the 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 point of Austin Matthews likes the, the in his camp like these five-year deals or somewhere in around there and I don't know that there's anything that Kyle Dubas or Lou Lamorello or GMX could have done to get them to falter on that stance is, is that kind of a fair position to look at things because I've heard that criticism leveled at this front office a ton of the biggest mistake they made was not getting max term on Austin Matthews and I've kind of operated under the op- the the understanding that I don't know that that was possible where do you stand on that for each well, at the time, and I've mentioned this before, the Maple Leafs knew that if Matthews had gotten to uh, a, a free agency, which was restricted free agency at the time, and it's it, now thinking about it, it's, it's wild how things have changed. Um, I think Arizona was going to max offer sheet him. Uh, uh, that, you know, they were going to offer him seven years at 20% of the cap, and uh, the Maple Leafs knew that. And... Uh, and so they, you know, they were it, like, life is all leverage, right? Like it's all about sometimes in negotiations, you have the leverage and you can hammer other people if you want. And other times in negotiations, the other party has the leverage and they hammer you if they want. And I think in that particular case, um, they absolutely had, like Matthews had the leverage and they knew that Arizona was there and, and I think, and I've, I've checked that before because I've heard that rumor and, you know, I, I reached out to some people who I knew in and around the Coyotes and nobody denied it to me that mm. that could have happened. So, 
um, I, I think the Maple Leafs, with that in the background, knew it. I like. I think the thing is, it, it's a good story and a good conversation. If you go back in time and you take a look at how all of those contracts were signed in the core four, and you ask Toronto what it would do different, I really wonder if when they signed Tavares, they could have tried to sign Matthews at the same time or something like that. Like try to get a couple of contracts done together. And, you know, someday that'll be a a great podcast or conversation or interview on you know, what will happen or what could have happened. But I think in Matthew's case in particular, I'd always been told that Arizona had made it clear there was going to be an offer sheet coming. The Maple Leafs believe that. And the research I've done in the aftermath of it, no one has ever told me that was wrong. That's uh, that's interesting. It certainly provides a little bit more context for the contract that was signed. I'm um, just going back to the coaching, uh, p- well, possible coaching search. We don't know if there will be one here. One name, obviously, that's been bandied about, not just here, but in other markets that have been looking for a coach is Joel Quenville. How much yeah. is he on the table? Obviously, we know everything that happened with the Blackhawks there, uh, the scandal revolving around Kyle Beach and everything. Yeah. Is he available to come back into the league? Are there any reason he could not coach? And is it just a case of him kind of biding his time or teaming? Teams waiting for there to be a little more time between his exit in Chicago there. Where do people stand with Joel Quenville? Well, he's yet to be reinstated, so no one can hire him. Um, You need league permission to talk to him. So so you can't even talk to him without permission. Uh, You cannot hire him until he's been reinstated by the league. And uh, if you do hire him, you also have to, like, there'll be... I don't I, like everybody's different. Like there, there are people who feel one way. There are people who feel another way, but there will be a segment of your fan base that will want to know why. So I think you have to get the, you, you have to get the league permission to talk to him. You have to get the league permission to hire him. And then you're also going to have to uh, speak to your fan base about why that's the, why that's why you're doing this. And so I think at this point in time, um, now I do think that there will be a conversation in the summer uh, or around the, uh, maybe through the league about, okay, do we get to a point where we allow him to be hired or not? I think that happens in the summer. I think it likely happens after this hiring cycle. Um, I wouldn't want to be held to that, but I kind of the way the wind seems to be blowing so I would say at this point in time, it's uh, it seems unlikely. With all the talk of core four change in Toronto, Frege, uh, I wonder what you think the strategy will be for Mitch Marner in the Mitch Marner camp. Uh, are they going to be proactive? Is it about damage control? Do you think they'll be considering alternatives? Like where where do you think the narrative sort of uh, puts Mitch Marner in the Marner camp ahead of this crucial offseason and ahead of July one when he has a no movement clause kicking? Um. I, I think this with, with these guys. Uh, I, I think there will be changes. Um, I don't think it will be Tavares because I just don't think he will allow it to happen. Um, I think Matthews depends on the negotiation. I think Nylander depends on the negotiation. Marner, I know there's people out there who think Marner is gone. And... I'm not there yet, uh, and I'll tell you why. Because, first of all, if you can't sign 
Matthews or Nylander than trading Marner, unless you're blowing it up entirely. Trading Marner doesn't seem to make any sense. Um, secondly, I also think that um, Marner just came off a season where he was the regular season MVP of the team. And yes, you could argue that you're trading him at high value. Um, then fine, but he just came off a year where he was your best player. Thirdly, you know, I, I've heard some people deconstruct Marner's uh, comments and say, well, that just proves he doesn't care. I think it's 180 degrees the reverse. I think what Marner says publicly is his defense mechanism. Um, I used to, I didn't deal a ton with Mike Weir, but I dealt with him enough over the years that I learned that, you know, he would miss a big putt or something like that, and he'd blame a spike mark. And I'd be like, what? And someone explained to me that Weir lacked confidence in his putting at times, and one of the ways his sports psychologist helped him get through that was to have a defense mechanism so he didn't beat himself up. Like, I think Marner really cares about being a Maple Leaf and really wants to be a Maple Leaf. I'm not sure that the, I think sometimes the pressure gets to him, no question, but I think he cares a lot. And I think when he's defiant like that, I think it's his defense mechanism so he doesn't show it in public. And I'll tell you something else. Marner and Matthews are very tight. Marner likes playing with them. Matthews was oh, sorry. Matthews likes playing with them. Matthews also has I've understood privately and publicly made it very clear he knows that Marner was a huge part of his 60 goal season. Um, I would be very careful about like I know sometimes people don't like the way Marner speaks. I am more convinced than ever it's his defense mechanism to try to keep the pressure he feels at bay. And I would be very, very careful about trading that guy because I think he has a huge connection to the team in the city. But the one thing I do recognize, guys, is that um, if Matthew's negotiation goes big, as big as it could be, then I know Marner's will too because that's kind of the way it goes. And if the Maple Leafs feel that that's something they can't do, then you know we'll see what happens. Preach, we uh, definitely appreciate the time and the insight this morning. Uh, we're waiting on the news from Kyle Dubas and the Toronto Maple Leafs. It should be very, very interesting with 43 days left before July 1. <laughs> big decisions have to be made, and you'll be all over it. We uh, definitely, again, appreciate the time this morning, and hopefully we can chat again soon. Thanks, Preach. All right, guys. Take care. That's Elliot Freeman. Our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. We got to be quick with the wake and rake. I'm taking the Carolina Hurricanes on the money line, minus 140. Uh, Nuggets, minus five and a half. The line was six, and it was a push, and they dropped by a half point for some reason, so I'll just do that all over again. Back to the well, and we have four wake and rake submissions despite no prompts, so shout out to the listeners. Uh, Jagan Scarborough likes Joker over 53 and a half points, rebounds, and assists. He has been hitting this. Also likes Murray over, which hit in game one. Ron and Jules back from our refreshing vacay. You got to let us know where you went. A lot happened in the sports world. Yes, it did. Jules will take the Lakers plus five and a half. Okay, so we're not taking that. And uh, the Panthers on the money line for Ron. We're not taking that either. So just, you know, welcome back from vacation. Yep. Uh, but we are not taking those picks today. Uh, good morning. Corey from Port Hope here. Wake and rake from him is the no runs in the first inning. Guardians and White Sox. 
And we've got a PGA Championship pick. Three I, ball. I already put this into the parlay. You told me my pick. You told me your pick. I had my pick. We go off what we watch. Are you watching White Sox baseball today? <laughs> False. You are not. I will watch uh, we, we'll copious make, amounts of goal. We'll make a promise here to Corey from Port Hope because he's been relentless with the picks. Tomorrow. We're taking it regardless tomorrow. Corey from Port Hope, Come correct. let us know what you're picking. We are taking it. Uh, uh, the pick is Cam Young over Tommy Fleetwood and Hideki Matsuyama. Plus, Young, one of the best drivers of the golf ball, which is key at Oak Hill. Plus 690 when you throw it with our picks there. So that's a nice, ju- juicy parlay. Jared from Halifax. So that's Cam Young over Fleetwood and Matsuyama. The Denver Nuggets to cover the spread and the Carolina Hurricanes to win on the money line today. Uh, we know you're going to be watching the PGA Championship. Uh, are you going to be dialed into Carolina and Florida tonight? Yeah, of course, of course. Love postseason hockey there. I will say one thing about Cam Young. He shaved his beard. He looks like a completely different man. A little terrified of that, but we're going to ride with it regardless. <laughs> uh, yeah, fired up to watch some golf, fired up to watch some Jays, fired up to watch some hockey. Yeah, and everything will be on our network, including the Blue Jays. They're concluding their four-game series against the Yankees on Sportsnet 1, Sportsnet Now, and Sportsnet 590. The fan, it will be Nestor Cortez and Jose Barrio. So a big, big night. It's always a big night on the network, but uh, these nights they're running out a little bit here with uh, basketball, hockey, and baseball. We'll soon be down to just uh, baseball, so we are going to enjoy these while they last. We're going to enjoy these shows while they last. We'll be back again tomorrow, Gunner. Uh, We will talk then.